Sure, on Sundays, you make me have to pipe you all down, but when I need you for five more seconds to keep talking, you're all ready to be listening. You guys just won't do anything right. Well, we are in the last chat. I will kick you out, sir. <laughs> we are in chapter 24, the last chapter of the book of Joshua. Have you been with us week after week? What an exciting book. And Joshua now at the end of his life is going to close out with a different conference, we'll call it, a different assembling together as he gives his final words to the entire nation of Israel, not just the elders and the leaders. So with that, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to jump into chapter 24. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy, for your word that never changes, is always faithful, and pray that you would teach us tonight as we grow in you, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read verse 1 and 2 to get started. It says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. The King James is pretty interesting. It says, on the other side of the flood, New King James is a little more accurate. It speaks of the Euphrates River, the other side of the river. And so when we see Joshua here, again, he's called all of the nation together, not just the elders. So this is different conference, different organization assembling than from the previous chapter where he had the behind closed doors meeting with the leaders and the elders of the tribes and the priests. And we're going to see that Joshua is the same person behind closed doors as he is publicly. He's going to proclaim the same thing. Only here he's going to reiterate much of the nation of Israel's history, of which he has been a part of for the last hundred years. Incredible, the things that he has seen. He immediately begins here by reminding the nation of Israel that Abraham came out of the other side of the Euphrates, where there was idolatry, where they were not serving after the Lord, where there was paganism rampant, and that Abraham was called out of that to his promised land, and that the Lord had chosen Abraham. This is important to start off because now they are in the land of promise, But the land of promise here is a land of paganism and idolatry because they have not kicked out all of the tribes that they were supposed to kick out. The Amorites, the Canaanites, anything with an ite was supposed to be out. But they didn't do it. And so Joshua is going to be reiterating reiterating these things constantly as he continues to talk about the Lord's faithfulness. Now, let's read verses 3 through 12. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out, verse 6. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, 
And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zephor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you, also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Just remember, if they're an ite, they're bad. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, also two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. And so starting from when they go and enter into Egypt, you have several hundred years there where the generations were not part of, where they drifted from being from Israel as a nation, slavery into the promised land. From the time that they leave Egypt in the 10 plagues, everyone that was in that first generation saw it with their own eyes. Joshua saw it. Caleb saw it with their own eyes. Now, we know that that generation passed away in the 40 years in the desert, but the people that are listening to this, it was their parents, their grandparents, their uncles, their great-uncles. They saw with their own eyes, and they heard at the dinner table the stories of the 10 plagues, of Pharaoh being destroyed in the Red Sea, of the manna. As kids, we talk about, um, in our conversations, with nostalgia, you know, when I was a kid, we ate this, or we went here, or we did that. Well, imagine if you're at that dinner table, you remember as a child eating manna in the desert every day. You remember water coming from rocks. You remember these miracles taking place. And then you remember going over the Jordan. You remember the Jordan separating with your own eyes. And so Joshua is reminding them of all these things. Now, that's going to come into play a little bit later. I'm going to touch bases on that. But right now, I want us to remind ourselves that Joshua here, as he's saying all this, he is 110 years old, and he's gathered the entire nation and all these things, and all he wants them to know about is the faithfulness of God, that it was God that delivered them. And we don't always think about Joshua as being a prophet, but here he is speaking for God. That's why he's saying over and over again, I did this, I did this, I did this, because the Lord came to him and told Joshua, tell the people that I said this. And so there's several things that we see the Lord say. He says, I took, I gave, I sent, I brought, I destroyed. The Lord did it all. I took, I gave, I sent, I brought, I destroyed, I delivered. The, the people of Israel did nothing. God did it all. And I want us to notice something else about this history that the Lord is giving Joshua to share. And I wish I was that smart, so let's just go ahead and get to the original source here. 
But in the Enduring Word commentary, it says, notably missing from this review of Israel's history is any mention of Israel's sin, rebellion, and failure. Though God recorded those things at the time, in Exodus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, when he reviewed their history through Joshua, he made no mention of them. Later, God said, their sin I will remember no more in Jeremiah 31, 34. Here, it was if he had, quote, forgotten Israel's past sin. Because remember, the Lord is speaking through Joshua. He could tell them whatever he needs to tell them. Now, Joshua's going to have some words in a little while. They're going to sound more like something I would say. But here, God, in reminding the nation of Israel of all the things he's delivered them from and all the things he's done, he doesn't mention any of the times that they failed. And boy, would that be a long sermon if he did. And I think that's so impressive, and I think that's so important for us to remember that. Because we should be provoked to love and good works. That's what the Bible says. And we should repent. That means to turn from bad behavior, from a sinful lifestyle, from carnality. We're to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We're to put our hand to the plow and not look back, Jesus told us. But we hold on to our sins far longer than the Lord does. Because the Lord says that He has separated them as far as the east is from the west. They are gone. He has washed us in the blood of Jesus Christ. And none of it remains. And He doesn't remember it. Now, of course, God does not forget anything. He knows all things. But He chooses when He sees you not to see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you are set free. So why are you still holding on to that? If you, if you went through terrible trauma in your life or in your childhood, if you were abused, if you were neglected, if you were beaten, psychologically, emotionally, physically, and you took on that on yourself, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. It is gone. Now, I'm not saying that you sinned in those situations. There are areas where you made terrible decisions. You've done very difficult things that you should never have done. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be people online that listen to this that are convicted felon of heinous crimes. But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, His mercies are new every day. He took that punishment. He took the death penalty for that crime on the cross. And He set you free. And not only does He set you free, not only does He liberate you, not only does He take it away, not only is He doing those things... He says he's made you a new creation. That means you're not a scarred, broken individual. You're not a person that brings along a lot of baggage from your life or your history or the things you went through or the things you've done or your mistakes. You are a completely new person. He doesn't remember it. So why do you? Jesus said to lay down your burdens at his feet. That his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, before we continue, I'll just remember, I remember when I accepted Jesus Christ, I was like 16 and a half years old. Because you know when you're 16, you've got to count by months. I remember accepting Jesus Christ, and I remember physically feeling the weight, the anger, the frustrations of a young man, the burdens of uh, my, my family and my past and the anger that I held, I remember physically feeling it leave me. Now, that's not the same for everyone. Everyone experiences things differently. But as a Christian, you can experience the same thing even now. Just let it go. You're the only one holding on to it. The Lord is not. 
Well, as the Lord is using Joshua to remind the nation of Israel these things, one of the most framed and posted verses of all of Scripture is in the next few verses. And now we're going to see it in its proper context. So let's read verses 13 through 15. Verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So we just mentioned how nothing was mentioned of their past sins and failures. But when Joshua is saying this, this is the proper context. The nation of Israel is is gathered. And we might think, at least I did, that this is some young man, some young father's declaration to the world that I'm going to lead my family into the future with this mantra. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in its proper context, Joshua is about to go into the grave. He's 110 years old. And he is speaking to the priests and the elders and the tribal leaders. And now he's speaking to Israel directly. And he is saying to them, I know that in your house are idols. I know you have false gods in your, in your homes. You didn't build those homes. God did. God made your fields. God made your house. God gave you this land. He delivered you. I just gave you 12 verses on how you were delivered by God. God is speaking to you directly. And you are still having the hooks of the world in your house. And then he says, choose this day. He's drawing a line in the sand. And immediately as I was preparing the, the sermon, I remembered of the leave of God and Moses and Aaron when they put the line in the sand. And the Levites took the sword. And they went to task. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God of the Amorites, the false gods from all the way back to Abraham, all the way back on the other side of the river, or the Lord. How is this even a choice? But then let me roll it back. Every day we are making this choice. Am I worshiping the world or the Lord? Am I more interested in what my peers think, about what's popular, about what some talking head might say, what the polls say, what the news says, what your coworkers say, what your boss says? With your friends at school, the people you think that are your friends are school, are you more concerned about them and their judgment? Little wooden idols that don't even speak, they're dumb, they're mute, they're deaf? Or are you concerned about what the Lord who has delivered you? If you're young here, if you're a young kid sitting in the back row trying not to fall asleep, you didn't build that house you live in. That car that's driving you around everywhere, that didn't come from you. You didn't earn that. Your parents, you have loving parents. You should thank God every day that you have a loving household with two parents in it because for the majority of us in this room, that was not the case. 
See, for the majority of people in America, they come in broken homes. I think it's like 52, 53% right now. And we have all these blessings that God has given us, and I hope, parents, you're, you are also taking that home to yourself. And God has granted you all these things, not because of your own work. Nothing, nothing good in my life came from me. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. It is all by the, God of gra- all by the grace of God. And yet we dare, and I'm just as guilty. We've had this in my house. We dare have that sign in your living room, at your front door, As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Yet the idols are in your tent. The idols are in your house. You go home, you sit on the couch, and you're watching that nonsense, being influenced. Well, you know, the Bible's pretty good, but, you know, we can can maybe soften the edges around here. Meanwhile, you have that verse up in your house. Hypocrites. Well, I thank God for His grace, and His grace on all of us. And so when we want to make this declaration, well, then do it. Mean it. Live it. But know that you can only live it in the grace of God itself. It's not by your own strength. Also, I want to remind us that are older, it is never too late to make this declaration. He's 110 years old, and he says, we need to do something right now because this nation is in trouble. For all its victories, for all its wins, Joshua is about to die. And instead of saying, man, I want to be on the beach and collect seashells and retire, I need to go to work. I need to get involved in politics. I need to get involved in the church. I need to get involved in the community, and I need to preach this message to everyone to serve the Lord because that's what matters. And that's what he's doing. Well, if you thought that was spicy, listen to this, verses 16 to 23. His words, not mine. 16. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land, We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Oh, that just sounds so good, doesn't it? Verse 19, but Joshua said to the Lord, excuse me, to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. But... The idols stay in the house. I can tell you right now, the idols stay in the houses. Now, I misspoke earlier. I said tents, but they're not in tents anymore. They're in houses. How do we know that? Because in chapter 1 of the book of Judges, we see that they did not take the ites out of the land. They did not fulfill what they were told to do. They did not clear them out. And by chapter 2, they are worshiping false idols. That is two chapters away Two chapters, they are worshiping false idols. This is a lie. 
And Joshua knows it. It breaks his heart. No, you cannot serve the Lord, he says to them. You can't do it. You're just not doing it. Now, what should they have done? Go home, get those idols, burn them in a big bonfire right in front of everybody. But that takes confession, and that takes embarrassment, and that takes humbling yourself. Listen, men, if you are at home and you're on the screen and you're committing adultery, go confess it to another guy. You don't have to tell it to anybody else, but do something about it. You think you're going to go home and suddenly be like, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it anymore. It's just not going to happen. Ladies, fill in the blank. If you have an issue that you're constantly stumbling over, whether it's food or gossip or maybe you have some guy that you're text messaging online, building a relationship you're not supposed to, well, you know, we're just talking. And you think you're just going to go home and be different, like you're just going to close your eyes and be tough enough to handle it? You have to have true repentance and can make no provision for the flesh. Know yourself. Know you cannot. Know yourself that you are too weak. The Lord can deliver you. I can. I did. I delivered. He provides. All those things he said that he had done earlier. And all we are asked to do is to serve the Lord. All we are told to do is to worship and seek him out. But suddenly they're like, oh, no, this is so good. We feel so great here. The emotions are getting to us. But Joshua tells him in verse 19, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. What does that mean? Is God not going to forgive me? The Lord does not forgive unconfessed, unrepented sin. Now, if you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have confessed, you have been born again, you have been filled. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. But if you don't, the only unforgivable sin is to not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You have resisted the Holy Spirit. You don't want salvation. And so here, if they have unrepented sin... Like, they have the pagan idol in their house, and they say, no, but we trust the Lord, we serve the Lord. No, you do not. All of the book of Judges is judgment on the people of Israel. It is going to be a downward spiral of sin, failure, judgment, deliverer, forgiveness from the Lord, and then a circle again, and then the circle continues, and the circle continues, and they're in a downward spiral. Because no man seeks after God. No, not one. Apart from the Lord, we cannot do anything. That's what I'm trying to reiterate here. You can put the signs up in your living room. You can memorize that verse. You can sing Kumbaya and look at people and say, yes, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm a good Christian. I'm on fire for the Lord. I'm here at church. And then you can go home and you can secretly sin over and over and over again and just like, oh, the Lord will forgive me. He'll forgive me. He'll get over it. But the Bible says God is not mocked. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. Man, that sounds kind of Old Testament. That's in the book of Galatians, in our New Testament. The book of Hebrews. Another Old Testament sounding verse. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, for he is a consuming fire. Two different verses. Stop. Stop. 
how can I be so forceful on this? I can do that because Joshua, ending his life, is saying this is the most important things. I have had 110 years of life. I have seen all these things, and all I want the nation of Israel to know is that God is our deliverer. Choose him and not the things of this world. That's all he wants to tell them because our decisions have consequences. If you don't get anything else out of this sermon, I want you to understand this. Your decisions have consequences. That is why he says, choose this day whom you will serve, because your decision has a consequence. If you decide to do nothing, it has a consequence. If you decide to ignore, it has a consequence. If you, have a, if you decide to make an action, it has a consequence. Decisions have consequences, and our decisions matter. Again, before we continue, those idols, they don't disappear. They don't disappear. They're in the houses the second they go back after hearing these words. These generations, this is where I wanted to go back to and touch on earlier, these generations who sat at the dinner table or sat at the, under the tree and they talked about eating the manna as kids. They talked about being the, the victories in battle. They talked about the Lord delivering them. They talked about water coming out of rocks. They talked about how grandpa saw the firstborn of the Egyptians die and Pharaoh dying in the Red Sea collapsing on him. They saw all those things and the idols are still in the house. What, you think in the 21st century you're going to do it on your own? They had Moses. They had Joshua. They could see the pillar of fire. They could see the pillar of smoke. They understood the Shekinah glory of God, even though they couldn't ex- ex- experience it themselves unless they were the high priest. Why do you think that you are going to be tougher than they are? Choose this day. Stop playing with that stuff because it is not going away on its own. Well, let's continue now in verses 24 through 29. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve, and His voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone And he set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which was spoken to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. I stole this one from John Corson. He said, how could a stone be a witness? If the disciples pipe down, even the rocks will cry out and be a witness to me, Jesus said in Luke 19.40. The ultimate witness was the stone that was rolled away from the tomb when Jesus conquered death and rose on resurrection morning. So stones can be a witness. 
And so they wrote these things on the stone and they put in there. And I think it's fitting. I thought, man, that really works together there. John, you got a pretty good one there. But they said in verse 24, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Well, how's that work out? How many times have you made an oath to, to the Lord? Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I want to do this. Lord, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to serve you and never complain. Oh, Lord, I'm going to, whatever you ask me to do, Lord, if you want me to be a janitor for you, I'll be a janitor for you. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm going to read my Bible every morning. I'm going to do these things. Oh, yes, I'm going to, Lord, I'm going to stop doing this. And you make all these confessions and oaths and false promises. And then we forget that we are people of flesh. We are fallen. We are broken. Even though we've been born again, we cannot do any of these things apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working in us. And we keep trying to, in our own mind, fix these things, and in our own strength, find the intellect and the wisdom and the program. And we go to the false gods of this world, the false wisdom of this world, we go to things that are outside of Scripture, and we say, oh, you know, I'm going to add this to it. I'm going to add this to it. It's going to make it better. No, it is not. It is not, and it sounds great. But imagine Christian homes that didn't have one verse on their walls. They didn't have one mantra. They didn't have any of these public proclamations, but they actually read the Bible, had it hidden in their hearts, and they did it. So the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto his word? How can a young man cleanse his way? How can a young woman cleanse their way by listening and obeying the word of God? That's how. It's simple. Washing ourselves in the water of the word, growing in the Lord, being filled with the Holy Spirit, having the words of life written in us, being in the word of God. There was a time that in the Calvary Chapel movement, that we believed that if you just read your Bible consistently, that the Lord would cleanse and alter your mind. Now, I still believe that, but not many people do. I believe that as you read the Word of God, not only is there the implanting of the wisdom of God in you and the implanting in your soul, but that He is literally rewiring your brain through the reading and teaching of His Word. Not many people believe that anymore. If you did, you wouldn't be on... All the other things you go for your treatments, your me time. We wouldn't be searching for those things. We wouldn't be whittling those idols. We'd be finding it in the presence of the Lord. See, they say the things, but they're not going to do the things. And what evidence do I have to back that up? Wait till we're in the book of Judges. You'll see. I will remind you. Don't, don't worry about that. I will remind you. Because by the time we break into chapter 2, they've already disobeyed all the things that Joshua told them to do. And they've already worshipped false idols. And they haven't driven out any of the ites. Compromise. It all starts with compromise. Destruction starts with compromise. Don't do it. Well, let's read verses 30 through 33 now. As Joshua has passed from the scene and entered into the kingdom. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Sarah which is in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gaash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. 
the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem. And the plot of ground, which Jacob had brought from the sons of Hamor, bought, excuse me, from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. So there's a couple questions here. You know, what's going on with the bones? You know, all the way back in Exodus, this had been promised. Joseph said, don't leave me here. When, you know, bring my body back to the promised land. They're in the promised land, and they were faithful. And this moment is mentioned in the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Faith. Because Joseph, for all of his wealth and all of his power and everything that he had in Egypt, that is not where he wanted to be. He wanted to be with God's people in God's place. And so here it is, the fulfillment of that. And they're just tying these loose ends up. So what in the world's up with 33? Why is all of a sudden Eliezer, the son of Aaron, he dies? And that's kind of weird. Just throw that in there last second. And they're showing, they're showing that the, the, the new generation is now coming in. Now there's going to be new high priests. There's going to be new people that are going to come in. What are they going to do with these promises? That terrifies me more than anything on this planet. I don't care what happens to this country compared to how I care about the souls of my children. What will they do as the next generation takes over? What will the church be like? Oh, and then I remind myself, I don't even have the power to control myself, much less my kids. I'm just going to give them to the Lord, do my best and commit the rest. Because we're so, we have so much judgment on them, but you can't even judge yourself by the same standards you judge your kids by. Are you walking in the same standard that you are judging them by? And so this final chapter in the book of Joshua truly is a warning to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Are you seeking after Him? Or are we making proclamations to God about how great we are serving Him while we have idols in the camp, while we have secret sins like He doesn't know? Are we making proclamations to please ourselves or are we making them to please the Lord? And then just like the book of Joshua going into the book of Judges, we will see because time is the ultimate test of all things. I pray that we can all be like Joshua because Joshua fulfilled his race with 110 years of faithfulness in every stage. It can be done, but only in the power and the grace of the Lord. So let's seek him out this evening as we spend the last of this hour in prayer, intercessory prayer, one with another and one for another. Let's thank you. Lord, we do thank you once again for this wonderful book. So many things that you've tied together here. We pray for the book of Judges starting next week that you continue to teach us from those times when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Pray that you would lead us and direct us now in this time of prayer. And I pray that you, Lord, were speaking to people here that have that baggage. They have that trauma. And I pray that as they speak with you now, whether publicly or privately, Lord, that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit and that they would know that you have truly set them free in the name of Jesus Christ. So we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.